Welcome back to the Sock Takes Pod. This is episode 59. We're sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston, and I'm joined by my fellow sock taker, staff writer John Leonard. John, what's going on, man? How's the weather down there in the Dallas area? Well, it's currently, uh, well, it's currently about 60 degrees, so everybody is panicking. We are bunkering down. We are basically expecting the apocalypse. This is... No, honestly, it's been it's been a little cold, but I've been talking to a bunch of friends down here who have never really been outside the state of Texas about what a real winter looks like, sending them screenshots of weather from everywhere. And yeah, they, there, was, they, there was a lot of that on social media this week. I saw that everyone. It's the obligatory screenshot of the weather. And I think up here in Indianapolis, it got down to I saw minus 12 was the, the, the lowest I saw on my dashboard. So. Um, we'll ask our guest here about the weather down in Cincinnati. He is the host of Cincinnati Soccer Talk. It's Nick Suberling, a.k.a. Subes. What's going on, man? Hey, what's happening, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been uh, chilly here in Ohio. I live, uh, I actually live in Toledo, Ohio. I'm about two and a half hours north of Cincinnati. And being right here on the lake, it was pretty chilly. I saw minus 14 on the dashboard. Oh, wow. But it was weird because, you know, you go outside today and it was 20 degrees, and it felt like spring. So yeah. it's kind of bizarre. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know about you, Subes, but it's supposed to hit the 50s this weekend here in Indy. Same for you? Yeah. Same here, yeah. It's going to be 50 degrees, and all the snow we've got on the ground is going to be gone, and then apparently we're going to get another deep freeze next week. So at least we're prepared and know what to expect. <laughs> nice. Well, first question I got for you is uh, we were just talking before we started recording about our shoddy production quality here at Sock Takes. I know we barely even, we don't even give you intro music. We just go right into it with a phone call, recording, minimal editing. One thing I love about Cincinnati Soccer Talk is you guys have just a very, very high level production quality going on. Uh, you got, you know, you're on the HD feed. You've got a bunch of graphic overlays. Uh, you even do preview videos. Intros and outros are seamless and, and, and beautiful. So tell me, did you just uh, acquire this as a side skill uh, or, Subes, what exactly is your background uh, as far as TV, radio, digital media? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, I went to school uh, many, many years ago. Uh, I graduated in 2003 from BG with a focus in radio broadcasting. And uh, I was one of those guys out of, out of school, never really got that gig out of school. And about two years after graduating, I happened to be sitting on my bum, uh, just unemployed, trying to figure out what my role in life was going to be. And uh, this news report came on CNN about this new thing called podcasting. And I was like, huh, interesting. Okay. And, you know, back then we didn't have the best technology. This was back in 2005. And we didn't have the, the, the greatest technology. Microphones weren't as easily um, available to, to get. And so I fired up my first podcast with a couple of my college radio buddies, uh, no joke, by using my flip phone and hosting a three-way <laughs> cell phone call and uh, using the headset from my SOCOM 2 PlayStation game. And so that's how I did the first podcast I ever recorded. So don't <laughs> sweat the equipment. Uh, my philosophy when it comes to podcasting is... Uh, it's better to record something with uh, with no microphone than it is to to not record anything at all. So uh, what you guys are doing is great quality. I mean, look, I've been doing this for 14 years now. And so 
over time, I've accumulated uh, more gear, more than my wife would like to admit. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty cool, you know. And as as the shows have uh, evolved, I've started to, you know, now that I've got the, the the podcasting side of things down, I wanted to foray into more visual, like television type broadcasts. I know we're not TV, but uh, I want I wanted people to put a face to the name, and um, I always wanted to you know, host my own radio show. And even though it's not radio, we're still a production and, you know, people get to tune in live and there's interaction and, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I didn't envision it uh, coming uh, together as quickly as it had, but, uh, the guys at CST uh, have done a tremendous job, you know, stepping up and, and making the pro- the production quality as good as it is. And I'm definitely curious to know what that first podcast uh, was about. Was was it about soccer? Uh, and if not, what was your introduction uh, into the game? Did you grow up playing it, or was it a passion you took on kind of later in your life? Yeah. So the first podcast I recorded was called the was called the TripsLeft.com Sports Shorts, and TripsLeft.com was a very old website uh, I, that I, I started in college. That was going to be some sort of blog before blogging was a thing, and then. Uh, we kind of migrated it over to just the general sports talk podcast. It lasted all of 15 episodes. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't go very long. Um, no, I grew up playing soccer. Uh, that was what my, my passion was, uh, from since, since the time I was four, I don't get to play it as much now as I, I'd like to. Uh, I still, every so often will show up at the, the open, open gyms and, and, and play some, some soccer. But that's, uh, you know, I've always been, I, I played it competitively growing up, um, playing travel soccer. And then into high school, I played uh, my freshman year. And then things didn't go as well my sophomore year, didn't make the team. And so the, the, the football team needed a kicker. So I said, I can, I can kick. And uh, so I transitioned and played football for three years at, uh, at Moeller High School in Cincinnati and uh, played, uh, played a place kicker there. So that was, uh, you know, I, it wasn't soccer, but I was still kicking a ball. Nice. Well, uh, our listeners, it probably will come as no surprise to hear that the heavy topic for today's pod is FC Cincinnati. Of course, they're preparing for their first year in MLS um, after um, winning the USL regular season, finishing atop Mm -hmm. the table in 2018. So to kick things off, John, why don't you just jump right into the uh, FC Cincy chatter? Okay, so looking at the roster so far, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finding a couple of, a a mixture of philosophies that we've seen in the past. Uh, The signing of Fernando Adi last year reminds me it's a very sort of Atlanta slash LAFC sort of let's come out of the gate swinging, let's get some big attacking players. Then there's a, a good bit of defensive depth and I'm seeing, uh, at this point, it looks like you guys have about five or six center backs already on the roster. And I'm wondering, on a scale of Minnesota United to LAFC, how do you think 2019 is going to go? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see the reaction on social media. And we kind of have this running joke at Cincinnati Soccer Talk that you know, FC Cincinnati is going to roll out a 9-1 formation. Uh, because they're just going to have so many defenders on the field at once. Um, I, I think what they saw, they, they, I think what they did is they looked at what happened to Minnesota United that first year, and probably even still to this day, what they struggle with, 
Um, and then they also wanted to, they didn't want to completely ignore the, the offense side of things. So yes, Fernando Adi, he's our designated player, uh, for FC Cincinnati. Um, he's going to, he's going to score some goals. The question is going to be what kind of service is he going to get? And I think, I think even he's kind of concerned about it as well. He had some comments today in, uh, in an article on the athletic about, you know, uh, you know, he's a little concerned with the amount of defensive players brought in, but it sounds like, you know, Alan Koch, I think the first thing he wants to do, and, and he, and he, he mentioned it on many times, not just on our show, but with uh, other interviews as well, that, you know, teams that make the playoffs in major league soccer historically have been the best defensive teams. And it's clear based on the roster right now that they wanted to really emphasize getting a strong defensive core, a strong defensive spine. Uh, and it's not just the center backs. Uh, it starts also with their goalkeeper. Uh, they brought in Shemislav Titan, also known as TT uh, from Poland. Uh, he's got a lot of great experience playing in European soccer leagues. Um, it sounds like he's having a tremendous camp so far. Very impressive. Um, great shot stopper. So they, they address that. Um, they address that area this off season. And of course you bring in Kendall Waston, who's been a best 11 player before there in Vancouver. Um, they've also brought in Caleb Stenko, who's a defensive midfielder. So they've really shored up that, that spine of the pitch with the goalkeeper, the center backs. I think the sixth position was Stanko and, and even Victor Joe, who they got from Dallas. And then obviously up top, they've got uh, Fernando Adi. So, yes, very defensive heavy. I think what they're going to try to do is probably hit some guys on the, on the counterattack, absorb some pressure, and try to, try to get some goals on the counter this year. That makes a lot of sense. And it was, it's a strategy that, in a lot of ways, mirrors uh, the 2018 USL season for Cincinnati. Sure. And... Uh, defensively, that team was among the strongest in the entire league, right about, right, I'd say right about until the playoffs started. And yeah, at all so far, I, I feel cautiously optimistic for Cincinnati more so than for I did for Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't know if this team's going to make the playoffs in year one. I mean, it, it's it's obviously obviously very going to be very tough for for FC Cincinnati. That said, I don't think they're going to concede a lot of goals this year. I think that's the plan, or that they're they're trying to they're trying to do with the the emphasis of the defense here. But you know, if if you're giving your ch- yourself a chance by not conceding as much in year one, I think that uh, who who knows? Maybe those. 2-0, games that you would have lost in, in year one as an expansion franchise because maybe you didn't address the defense. Maybe that becomes more 1-1, 1-0 type games where you're, you're still in the ball game and you're giving yourself a fighting chance. Yeah, and that plus the expansion of the playoffs to uh, sure. seven yeah. teams is going to make... That's a huge changer for this league because, yeah, 14 teams in the playoffs means just about anything can happen. That's a good point. And Subs, I did see that uh, that article you referenced in the Athletic with uh, Fernando Adi's comments, and I believe his comments. He even said that he talked directly to head coach Alan Koch about you know kind of his doubts or, or um, I guess doubts is what you would call him about getting service and being able to link to the attack and getting dangerous opportunities. Um, I think there's a lot of merit to the, to that concern. 
Sure. Um, I'll share my thoughts probably here in a second after after I uh, pop off a question to you. But um, I guess specifically in regards to uh, Caleb Stanko, who you also mentioned, um, he he mostly played center back in Germany for the last several years. But supposedly he's more of a true midfielder, and it, all indications seem to be seem to be that he's going to play in the central midfield. Uh, for FC Cincinnati. So we, we, we talked about the, the thin attacking core and kind of the, the deep uh, core of defenders, but it, there's also a, a, a huge pool of players that kind of appear to all be central midfielders. Um, so what do you make of this log jam? And it, it, do you chalk it up simply to what you mentioned before, um, just clearly trying to go out with a defensive focus in year one? I Yeah, I think you, you nailed it on the head there. I think defensively, that's really where they wanted to put their stamp. They want to lock things down and, uh, you know, protect, protect their goal. Uh, yes, Caleb Stenko played primarily center back the last few years in Germany, but uh, Justin, in some recent interviews I saw with, um, with him, he seems pretty excited in that he's going to be given the chance to be that number six position there in the midfield, uh, which is more of his natural position. So, uh, and, and he's, I think the biggest thing is he's going to get a chance to play. Uh, from from what it from all accounts, it, it doesn't sound like he had a lot of opportunities to play in Germany over the last few years. So uh, this is going to be uh, a chance for him to kind of have a, a rebirth, so to speak. Uh, he's going to get a chance to to get some minutes, uh, and and really, it's you know potentially be one of those rocks in the midfield uh, for the orange and blue. So I think, yeah, it's never bad to have too many in one position, right? I mean, I think. There's a lot happening this summer. You've got the Gold Cup that a lot of these guys are going to be away for. So, you know, Kendall Waston will be away playing for his national team. Uh, you've got Cruz, who's also going to be playing for his national team there uh, with, uh, with Costa Rica. Um, you know, you're going to be losing Alvis Powell with Jamaica probably. Greg Garza potentially with the U.S. men's national team if he can stay healthy, which is going to be a big question mark. So a lot of these guys have the potential to be missing for a few weeks this summer that you also had to probably play some consideration there. So I think that's another reason why they went uh, depth heavy at center mid and at, uh, and at uh, center back position. And I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of positives, things we like that FC Cincinnati has done, but uh, I mentioned I'd share my thoughts on Stanko. So I might as well, let's yeah. go with the negative early and then we can go to the positive, I guess. Sure. Um, but yeah, there. I, I I like what FC Cincinnati is done, and I I always try to give as specific as analysis as possible. So to uh to cite three particular things that I did not like that FC Cincinnati has done. Um, I guess first of all, I didn't really like that they traded for all of the Philadelphia Union's MLS <laughs> super draft picks. Uh, I mean, it made sense maybe just to you know trade a little bit less and just snag like a first rounder because you know, the later picks don't have quite that much value and especially it ended up kind of making them look bad that they passed late in the draft. So I thought that was a mistake. And then uh, prior to that in the expansion draft, um, I'm just not a big Darren Maddox fan. I thought that was a mistake to, to grab him in the, the expansion draft. It reminded me of, I'm sure everyone at some point has played fantasy football or fantasy something. And it was, of course, it wasn't a trade at all, by any means, but it, it was almost like they, um, they bought high, you know, like someone kind of fleeced him almost, you know, and uh, it, it's picking up a player at their maximum value with kind of an expected regression is the way I see it. If, if, if you look at Maddox, 2018 almost looks more so like the anomaly, in my opinion, 
Um, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not rooting against the guy. I hope he goes out and uh, is very productive for FC Cincinnati this year. But, you know, he he's only gone prior to last year. He had only gone over five goals uh, twice. I think he had a, a six-goal season and a seven-goal season. So last year was the first time he got to double figures. He's never been a great passer. Um, I think he had, what, zero assists last year and has never had more than three assists in a single season. So... Um, the thing is, I, I kind of think that Darren Maddox is going to end up, I guess we'll call him a barometer player. And what I mean by that is like, if he ends up starting a lot for FC Cincinnati, whether it's due to other guys on international duty or injuries, or I don't know, maybe Koch just rates him and he's even starting with, with a fully healthy squad. But, uh, whatever the case, I just, I don't think that FC Cincinnati is going to have much of a chance to make the playoffs. If, if you're counting on him as a regular starter, uh, to give consistent production, that said, if you can find a way for him to come off the bench, um, I think he can be productive coming in as a super sub, bringing in his massive pace and, and finishing ability. But um, I don't know. He's also no one really says the word tweener too often uh, in uh, in soccer, but he, he's sort of a tweener in that, you know, you want your wingers to be great passers and he's he doesn't really have the hold up play and the work rate underneath to be like a, a true you know up top forward so i don't know he's meant really like he's meant to be a winger but because he's not a, a good passer a lot of times he'll play farther up than then and he he doesn't do enough other things i don't think when he, you know the closer to the goal he is i guess you kind of have to do it because he's not he's not a great passer but i don't know i just well, yeah go ahead I was going to say there, there's a couple of schools of thought there and uh, I'll be the first to admit that when the team drafted him, I was, I also scratched my head a little bit. Um, I think, and based on what we've seen with the roster build here, the fact that they are so defensive heavy is that they're really counting on attacking teams on the break this year. And what does Darren Maddox have? He's got pace, right? He will have the ability to get in behind defenses and granted. Yes. Last year he got, his uh, double-digit goals, primarily before Wayne Rooney showed up there in D.C. United. And then the well kind of dried up. And the opportunities dried up. He didn't get to play as much, right? So I, I think he's going to play a lot this year because of just the sheer amount of offensive players on this team right now dictate that. So I can just easily see him playing more um, you know, outside on the left in a 4-3-3 with Adi playing the the lone striker where he's going to be holding the ball up. And maybe you have uh, Darren Maddox running in behind defenses that Adi can play him through uh, that sort of, sort of, uh, sort of idea there. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for, for Maddox is, you know, it's, it's probably always been a confidence issue. He's got loads of loads of pace. And I just think it's all mental with him uh, in front of goal, missing easy chances, and uh, last year, getting double-digit figures, I think he feels like he's still got something to prove here. And, um, you know, who knows? I'm not saying he's going to go out and score double digits. I don't even know if he'll be the leading goal scorer for FC Cincinnati. He did score the lone goal in their friendly the other night against Montreal Impact. And, a, and, a, and on a goal, if you haven't seen the video, uh, it was a long ball over the top from center back Forrest Lasso. Maddox ran onto it, got behind the defense, and, and chipped it over the keeper. So... We're going to see a lot of those type goals this year. The question is, if teams start to figure that out, then where do they make that adjustment? Yeah, I, I definitely read uh, Pat Brennan, his uh, match report, and the Inquirer, his thoughts on the 1-1 draw with the impact. And yeah, he said that Maddox uh, 
I believe he said of the all the forwards that took the pitch, he stood out as the best one that day for FC Cincinnati. So yeah. he's absolutely capable. Um, I also I made this comment about Ben Spees before uh, on the Indy 11, which is now he, he just got loaned out to North Carolina FC. But he's a player kind of like Maddox. They, they don't necessarily have the highest motor. They can when they get the ball, they can make dynamic plays. But pockets of time will go by and you might say, oh, hey, uh, this guy hasn't touched the ball in 12 minutes or whatever. Sure. So uh, not to say he's a lazy player. You know, sometimes it's a matter of like finding or, you know, knowing where to go to find space. So I'm not trying to call him lazy. I just think that and whether it's uh, um, opponents know how to scheme against him, but he often will like vanish for stretches at a time, I feel like. Um, and that's another reason I like him coming off the bench. Uh, anyway, yeah. moving on to a signing I did like, which, John, I'll bring you in here because you know a lot about this guy. Um, Roland Lamar. I was actually I was thrilled to see that it finally worked out with him because that was an expansion draft pick. Uh, but it seemed like there were issues going on behind the scenes, Subes. Maybe you can provide some insight as to what was going on. I don't know if there were concerns about his health, but um, he's a player I really like for FC Dallas. He's very consistent. He's good in front of goal. He's he's productive. If you just look at his production per minute, um, he, he's a very, very fine player. And I think he's worth it as a TAM player. I think Roland Lamar is kind of like the stereotypical TAM player. That's the, kind of the guy you want. Uh, I believe he's um, of uh, from Ivory Coast descent, but he's a, a Belgian national. Um, so he's the kind of guy, he's not quite good enough to play for the, the Belgium national team, but he's still a very, very fine player. And that's kind of what, you know, Tam and Gam players are kind of meant to be. So once the team worked things out with Lamar, finally got that, that, uh, pen to paper, that kind of might end up allowing a player like Maddox to come off the bench. So I thought that was a, a, a key piece to finally get Lamar under contract. Cause I really think he'll help you guys out on the wing and, um, in the midfield. So Subs, what did you think of, of, Lamar signing and the decision to draft Lamar in the expansion draft. Um, and also what do you, what was kind of holding up uh, the, the business side of things? Yeah. I'm not really sure what the holdup was. I think part of it might've had to do with uh, they needed to come to terms because his contract was up. Um, you know, he could sign in theory, he could have signed with, with anybody there in major league soccer. I believe I could be wrong on that, but I, I know his contract was up. And so they had to renegotiate terms with, with Lamar and I think that was what the holdup was, um, trying to figure out salary, et cetera. But a great draft pick. I'm excited to see what this guy has to offer. Um, you know, he might be somebody we see in that place there on the on the left side of things up top where, you know, maybe you do bring in Maddox to, to give him a breather there towards the end of games. And, and Maddox is that super sub role, like you, like you mentioned. Um, it was funny because we were we were starting to get concerned because they did use an expansion draft pick on him. Uh, so even when his contract had, had run out. So, I mean, I guess they retained his rights due to that expansion draft pick uh, choice there, but the, the hashtag where's Roland started to make its way around um, FC Cincinnati social media. And uh, we, we, you know, at Cincinnati soccer talk, we were, we were kind of scratching our head as well, wondering what exactly was happening. So uh, I think the fact that he's an international player and FC Cincinnati uh, using pretty much all of their allotment of international roster spots may have played a role in that as well. But uh, I know I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to hear what John has to say about him too. Yeah, John, so, John, you've been a season ticket member for, for several years for FC Dallas, correct? Oh, yeah, since uh, 2013 season. So I've seen pretty much every single game Lamar played for Dallas. 
And I, I think are... you had a sorry to interrupt, but I think you had a great tweet one time about Lamar. It was right around the end of the season. Uh, Lamar, he had kind of a frustrating 2018 campaign. He just couldn't stay healthy, kept picking up minor knocks. But I think you said that when he takes the pitch and he's not fully fit, I believe you called him a turnstile, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which might have been a little harsh. I don't think he's that worthless if he's not fully fit. But um, I, I think you nailed it pretty much right on the head with the fact that it is a completely different player. And you can tell when he's fully healthy, fully fit, uh, he's and a destroyer. And if you've got a midfield, that can help him. <laughs> That's the key kicker. Our midfield for parts of the 2018 season in Dallas and a lot of the 2017 season in Dallas, our midfield was a nightmare. Roland Lamar, when he is playing as a true honest-to-God winger, cutting inside a little bit, playing up top, maybe ducking in as a false nine, making big runs along the sideline, that's where he is best. And if you've got a good number 10 or if you've got a two good central mids and a 4-4-2 or just anything where he doesn't have to be winning balls all the time and you can just feed him and let him go do his thing, he's lethal. Absolutely lethal. There's nothing. Nothing you can do to stop Lamar when he's on full sprint and his ability to just grab a pass and bury it is absolutely breathtaking to watch. But between his, we'll say, questionable knees at recent points in the past few years and his, uh, his he doesn't really have a defensive side to his game. He is a true attacking player. So if you're having to rely on a lot of counterattacking and winning balls late, you're going to see some gaps in his game show up. But I think with the midfield and with the defense Cincinnati's putting together, it should work. I like having Victor Uyoa there with him because those two play really, really well together. And actually, I'm I'm sadder to see Vic go than Lama, oddly enough. Hmm. Yeah, that was going to be my question to you as well. Like, uh, because obviously, uh, FC Cincinnati acquired U- Uyoa, and um, when we first heard that, that the signing was 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 coming, we were, we were very excited about the the fact that he was going to be joining the squad. What can what can FC Cincinnati fans be uh, looking forward to out of Victor uh, Victor Uyoa this year? So if you've seen Kellen Acosta with the Mm -hmm. national team, that sort of deep-lying defensive midfielder who can duck in to sweep up and move forward as sort of a Michael Bradley box-to-box kind of a guy, you're getting that in Uyoa. He is fast. He's got a great defensive head. He knows how to push forward and start a counterattack. He is... He, he's kind of like a more defensively savvy Michael Bradley in a lot of ways, but with young legs under him and much, much more comfortable having to uh, regain possession in really tight situations. So when we lost Acosta to Colorado, Uyoa filled in and that role pretty much full time yeah. and was... In some cases, Uyoa had a better 2018 than Acosta had in 2017. Hmm. And I am 
He was a huge player for us for so long and so unbelievably consistent that I, it's one of those signings that I, I honestly think Cincinnati is a great fit for him and he's going to be, he's going to be somebody I've been keeping my eye on all year. And speaking of Kellen Acosta, uh, funny thing about that was what kind of confidence does that show in FC Dallas that they were willing to let their homegrown player, uh, U.S. men's national team player pool player, uh, who appears fairly often on the national team, uh, they just they were willing to trade Acosta and kind of hand the keys to the car to Uyoa. Um, so I, I really think FC Cincinnati uh, made good pieces of business to grab those two FC Dallas players in particular uh, were two, two of the better moves I've liked this season. Um, I'm curious to know, Subes. I, I mentioned Stanko. I never quite got my, my uh, hot take in there, but I don't, I think it was a good signing if you bring him in as a non-TAM player, but mm-hmm. apparently it looks like they it looks like they paid I think correct me if I'm wrong but it's like a six figure trans low six figure low six figure transfer fee and he's also going to be a TAM player which uh, you know means he'll be making um, you know several hundreds of thousands of dollars so I just thought it, it was smart to bring him in as depth but I don't know that it was that great of a signing and I'm not even necessarily convinced that he's going to be a starter for FC Cincinnati. So Supes, who do you think is going to be starting in the central midfield uh, week one, if everyone's healthy for FC Cincinnati? Oh man. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we, I haven't even had a chance to see these guys play yet. Um, man, but that's a tough call. I probably I'm leaning towards Stanko just the sheer fact of what they spent to get him here. Um, but I think, you know, they were really high on Uyoa and he's going to have a chance to, to play a lot. I'm wondering too, if they play a four, two, three, one, what are the chances that Stanko and uh, Uyoa play together there right in front of the, the center backs? I'd and, say and, incredibly high. Yeah. And I'd say so, that makes perfect sense for both of them and for the defense. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we know Alan, Alan Koch likes to shore things up defensively. And so uh, I would not be surprised if Stanko and Uyoa are both uh, getting the start there at the um, def- defensive mid position in a four, two, three, one to start out with. I know I'm riding the fence there and not giving you the answer of who I think should start. <laughs> I think they're, I think they're both going to do it. Yeah, that that's Stanko in that position. Having one as a quasi six, one as a quasi eight in a yeah. four, two, three, one. And then it's, I, I think it's a little bit of a toss up of who they'd play as a 10 in that situation. My personal choice would be Emmanuel Ledesma because he's one of my favorite players ever. And if they were to do Ledesma and then Lama Adi Maddox up top, that's. That's a pretty strong-looking starting eleven, right there. But but here's the thing too, and this is where Alan Koch is. He's going to have some headaches this year. They brought in Leonardo Bertone from Young Boys. Uh, he's from Switzerland, another international midfielder. He's only 24. Uh, played in the Champions League this year against teams like Juventus. Uh, so he's got some pretty good international experience, and still at only 24 years old. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to see what he has to offer. Now we've heard he's more of a six slash eight type player, 
but could he potentially be more of that playmaking 10? We're, we're not really sure yet, but I think that he's also going to be big in the club's plans this year. The fact they brought him over, he's got an international roster spot, played in the, in the Champions League this year. Um, that's another name that I would be on the lookout for. Yeah, I, I see him, and I've I've saw, I went and watched a bunch of footage when the signing was announced, just out of curiosity. And yeah, I see him as more competition for Uyoa or Stanko mm-hmm. than I would for a 10 spot, uh, yeah. especially because when he's playing in, centrally in a 4-3-3 and not playmaking and letting the winger or win, wide midfielders do a lot of the setup work, that was where he did a lot of work for young boys. Same thing with occasional uh, 3-5-2. Uh, I wouldn't want to give a D mid the number 10 role unless you guys are like hardcore. We will score one goal a game, but we will allow zero. (laughs) And you finish with 34, four and one against. Well, Subs, I'm curious to know, um, not counting Alashe, not counting Adi. So the non MLSers from the 2018 roster, that you know made the transition to the MLS roster. Um, I'll give you my answer. I think Ledesma is going to be a very successful player at the MLS level. Um, I've had conversations on Twitter about this before. But um, in addition to or besides Ledesma, um, who do you think are maybe two or three guys that will have the biggest impact? The, the the true USL guys from last year that you think will have the biggest impact this year? I oh man, that's another tough question because so many surprisingly so many options to choose from. I did not expect them to bring so many guys up from the USL squad. So um, I think where you're going to see some, some impact this year, obviously Ledesma is going to play. There's the reigning USL MVP, the 16 goals last year, 15 assists on just the, the the production alone. uh, I I think he warrants a shot there here with the the major league soccer side. I also think you're going to see, uh, Forrest Lasso gets some minutes. I think he's going to have an impact there at center back. You pair him up with Kendall Waston. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see Forrest Lasso in person in in real life. The dude is massive. I mean, he is a just a a, a block of uh, just a per- person. He he's, so he's an big. absolute unit. He is six yeah. six. Yeah. So you, you pair him up with Kendall Waston there at the center back, and you know this this defense all of a sudden becomes very physical. Um, they're going to be able to, to knock guys off the ball. Uh, they're, the biggest thing is on, on crosses into the box. You know that either one of these two guys are going to get to those. Uh, so I think Forrest Lasso has the chance to, to have a pretty big year for FC Cincinnati. I don't know how many appearances he's going to get, but um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, seeing the progress, progression that we have seen out of Forrest Lasso over the last few seasons, uh, both in Charleston and in Cincinnati, that he makes an impact. But as far as the 10 position goes, I could see Ledesma filling in there a little bit. I could also see him being played out wide on the right and allowing allowing him to cut in on his left foot, um, which is his left foot is lethal. Uh, but I would not be shocked that uh, a guy like Corbin Bone finds a little niche role there at that 10 spot uh, as a playmaker uh, because we, we saw last year when he was playing in behind the forwards, um, you know, he capitalized on – those gaps that the, 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 the forwards and, and wingers were creating. And, you know, he ended up with 10 goals last year for FC Cincinnati. So uh, I, I don't know how much of an impact he will have, whether or not he'll be 
you know, somebody that they're counting on down the road. But, you know, Corbin Bowen, I would not be surpri- uh, surprised that, you know, he has, you know, you know, 17 or 18 appearances this year for FC Cincinnati. He's also a North Texan boy, so I can get behind that, too. <laughs> yeah, for selfish, pers- for selfish purposes, I- I'd like to see Lamas starting on the left wing and Ledesma on the right wing. Just to start the season, I mean, like if yeah. I were coaching, that's what I would do. Just So that's kind of what I want to see. I don't know if that's what will happen. Um, anyway, before we let Subs get out of here, John, uh, any final questions for Nick? So this is something I always like to do whenever we're talking about a new team. Let's play prediction for a second. Okay. At the end of the 2019 season, where does Cincinnati fall, given the state of, we'll call it the state of chaos this week, especially for Toronto? Where do you think Cincinnati is going to end up at the end of the year? Oh, man. It's tough. Um, Atlanta. We know what they've got, right? But they yeah. did just lose Almiron, uh, who was a really important player for them. Now, they, we know that they've brought in some pretty pretty amazing talent this offseason as, as well. But they've got question marks at coach. You know, is Frank DeBoer going to be a good, successful coach here in Major League Soccer? That's, uh, that's a big question mark, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not going to be in the playoffs because talent, just talent alone, they're going to rise to the top because they're just that good. Um, but, you know, you got teams... In the East, uh, Columbus, uh, they've got a new coach this year in Caleb Porter. Um, they're going to be losing their goalkeeper, though, midway through the year. So there's something to keep an eye on there. Uh, D.C. United, I mean, I was shocked to find out that Lucho Acosta was <laughs> in Paris this week, potentially moving, and now that fell through. Now he's got to go back to D.C. United, and I'm wondering how much that plays into things. Uh, it, but, but look, D- DC United, they're going to be, I think they're going to be pretty solid. I'm a big Wayne Rooney fan. I've really enjoyed seeing what he brought to DC and the fact that DC was back in the playoffs and to see, and, the, and really to see DC United, um, getting that fan base, getting that region back into, uh, back into soccer there for, for that area, because that was so bad for so long there at RFK. And, and, and that's a team that historically in major league soccer, they're, they're up there, right? I mean, they oh, yeah. won all those MLS Cups at the beginning of the, the league back in the, in the mid-90s. They were like the flagship franchise for so long. So it was really good to see them back. I think they're going to be in there in the East. But you still have question marks about NYCFC. They obviously, they changed coaches midway through the year. They lost David Villa. I'm not sure where they're going to fall. Uh, as far as FC Cincinnati goes, I think it's an uphill battle, personally. Yes, they're going to be great defensively. But can they score goals? That's going to be the question mark. So with that said, the fact that they've opened the gap or they've made it seven teams in the Eastern and Western Conference, I'm going to say they creep in and they're the last team in the East to make it in the seventh spot. That is just my prediction. All right. And Nick, uh, last question I have for you. You know, you, you have a very passionate fan base there in Cincinnati. The schedule to start is absolutely brutal. It's, let's see, oh, yeah. at Seattle, at Atlanta, home against Portland, at New England, home against Philly, uh, home against SKC, at Los Angeles, Real Salt Lake, Red Bulls. Finally, uh, in May and in, the, in late spring and early summer, it, it finally eases up a little bit. But my question is, um, let's, you know, for the sake of the question, let's assume the worst case scenario 
what if uh, five or six games into the season, you know, FC Cincinnati already has four or five losses, uh, really struggling to get results out of the gates? How do you talk your passionate fan base kind of uh, off the ledge, so to speak? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. It really will. Uh, but I also think the fans are, are smart enough to know that this is year one of Major League Soccer, right? Um, I think if they're expecting the team to run out and win their first four or five games, I, I, I think I would hope that they're a little bit more um, attentive than that. I mean, that's unrealistic expectations. I mean, what, their first nine, nine out of ten are against playoff teams from last year? Um, so, look, it's it's going to be tough sledding. Um I think that's why they went out and, uh, you know, they really focused on the defense, right? To just let's not get slaughtered out of the first, out of the <laughs> gate, you know? So um, the, the fans are crazy and I'm, I'm glad that they're passionate about it. And, and as someone who has, you know, grown up in the Cincinnati area and we've had the Bengals and we've had the Reds and I think those fan bases are just, they're, you know, I don't know if the apathetic is the right word. But this FC Cincinnati fan base, it's different, right? I know they're passionate, but believe it or not, they're, they're pretty smart when it comes to soccer. So I hope, I hope they keep things civil <laughs> if things don't go well early and just realize, look, this is year one of hopefully many, many years of Major League Soccer in Cincinnati. Well, Nick Suberling, host of Cincinnati Soccer Talk, is our guest today. Subs, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find your work, find you on Twitter, and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, FC Cincinnati. It's rare, you know, being the, the host of the show. I don't get asked the questions, so this was, this was kind of fun. <laughs> um, yo, you can check out our website, CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com. We've got great articles there covering the team. Uh, our own Rob Pierce went to Chicago for the Super Draft a couple weeks ago, so he was there, had some great coverage of the draft. Uh, unfortunately, we're not down in Florida for uh, preseason coverage like we were a year ago. Couldn't make that happen this year, but uh, you can go check it out, CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com. You can find the podcast in iTunes or wherever you can find podcasts. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, anytime. Thanks again. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston, and I'm joined by my good buddy, John Leonard. You can find him at JohnMLTX. You can find me at KJ Boxing. Find our work at SockTakes.com. This has been episode 59 of the Sock Takes Pod. Also, big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. We'll probably be back in another one or two weeks with another podcast. Until then, go check out uh, Sock Takes TV. Go check out Lower League America, and we'll see you soon. Hell.